That'll wake you up, won't it? Thank you much. Let's open our Bibles today, please, to the book of John, chapter 15. Uh, at the end of the service, Rhonda is going to invite you to be a part of our musical here at the church. Uh, God does special things still on Good Friday. Uh, the Easter musical started out on Good Friday and it grew and then we had to also have another session on Thursday. So we have two Thursday and Friday. A number of years ago, uh, one of our members invited a friend to come on Good Friday. And her friend came to uh, one of our musical programs. And after the service was over, she drove down the, the access road, turned right on Route 88. And by the time she got to the little gas station in Finleyville, she couldn't see the road because she was crying. And she pulled off in the gas station and she wept her way into the arms of Christ. And she told us that uh, she never realized that uh, this was all for her. She said, I never realized that. I knew it was a story and I knew it was for the world, but I never really applied it to my life. Uh, I think it was on Monday she showed back up at the church to go to a Bible study. And uh, she's been growing in God ever since. And if you come to our Saturday night service, she is the greeter at the door. A friend invited her on Good Friday. I wrote a little note about her. I wrote an article, actually, it was t entitled, Good Things Still Happen on Good Friday. So uh, you find a friend just like she was, and uh, you plan on that. If you can be a part of our, our, our whole program here, See Rhonda, and uh, you will enjoy being a part of it. I'd like to talk to you this morning about what Jesus was talking to his disciples about in John chapter 15. He said, in effect, stay close to me and bear fruit. And so we're going to begin reading in verse number one. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes or cleanses it, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Here's uh, the key verse, the key word. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. The word here is emphatic, I. Jesus was talking to his 11 disciples. Uh, Judas had departed. He said, I am the vine, and you too is emphatic. He said, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, and without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You know, whenever you first start out following the Lord, uh, God wants to see fruit in your life and so do you. And uh, it's amazing whenever you see the, f the, the first fruit begin to take place in your life, you're excited about it because God's actually doing something in your life and you're recognizing it and other people are too. Uh, and then he says, you know, you've made a decision to be a fruit bearer, so, so therefore I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
increase your harvest. And I'm going to enable you to bear more fruit. And he says, my ultimate goal is for you to bear much fruit. But it's a journey. Uh, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was uh, noted as the vine. And you'll notice these passages up here that we have on the screen this morning. Galatians 5.22, you're familiar with that. We'll look at that later. The fruit of the Spirit, you know, is love, joy, peace, etc. Uh, Isaiah 5 is the story of God planting the nation of Israel in the world. His vine, his source of inspiration and good. It was disappointing, though, to him because Israel failed. He guarded the vineyard. He watched over it. He worked it. And eventually, he took away the hedge of protection because uh, the vine disappointed him. And so here we find, after this big disappointment, the nation of Israel, uh, Jesus comes and he says, Now listen, I am the true vine. I am the source of life that will not fail you. I am the one who will give you the source of inspiration for life. Well, uh, the vine was a symbol of the nation of Israel since the Old Testament days. In fact, during the Mac Maccabean days, right before the coming of Christ, they printed some coins up. And on these coins, here's one of them right here, there was uh, a bunch of grapes. Uh, and that was saying that the nation of Israel was, was the vine. Josephus, the Jewish historian uh, that we rely so much upon for the history back during that time, said that on the front of the temple there was this tremendous uh, vine uh, that was carved. And the bunches of grapes were as big as a man. And just to remind the nation of Israel that they were indeed the vine that God planted in, in the world to bear fruit for him. Now remember in the Old Testament, God sent Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses said, was, was reluctant to be sure. And he said, uh, who will I say sent me? And you know what, what God said is, just tell him I am sent you. And so in the book of John, on at least seven occasions, Jesus explains in more detail about I am. And he's explaining that he's, he is the I am. For instance, he said, I am the, I am the bread of life. Uh, no, one, no one who ever eats of me will ever hunger again. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. I am the gate of the sheep, and those who go through me will be saved. And find green pastures. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. And then remember last week we talked to you about that, that tremendous verse uh, in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except he comes through me. Now today we have the last one of those. I am. I am the vine. You are the branches. God's expectation was not realized in the nation of Israel. You know, some plants are planted for beauty. You know, when you see them, it's like, wow. Uh, we've had over at our house, uh, uh, through the years, ornamental pear trees, a couple of them. And uh, these are the trees that people plant, uh, you know, in some of the new divisions, home divisions. And they, they just look so good. They're shaped kind of like a pear. They're not worth a lot, but they look good and they grow fast. 
uh, and uh, they have this awesome shape to them. They're not good for shade. In the spring, they have a lot of pretty white blossoms on, but they don't bear any fruit. They're just to be looked at. They're decorative, so to speak. But whenever you plant a vine, it's not for decoration. It's for what? It's fruit, right? And so the Lord says, listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches, and together we're going to have some fruit. He's not looking for beauty. He's looking for fruit. And so first of all, in our passage this morning, let's look at the symbols of fruit bearing. What are they? First of all, the sun is the vine. You know, without uh, the sun, there is no real life. And Jesus said here, he says, I am the true vine. I am the source of true life. Israel failed, essentially, but Jesus never fails. Uh, whenever someone attaches themselves to him or is born of, of his vine, uh, there is always so much life possible coming from that. It's incredible. John 10.10 is one of my favorite verses relative to this. Let's read it together, okay? The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. Jesus said, this is the purpose I've come. I've come to give you life. And the, the first word life there means eternal life. That was his mission. Uh, you attach yourself to me, we have eternal life. The second mention of abundant life means purpose for living. That means uh, inspiration to get up in the morning rather than just inspiration to go to work and get a job. That's important. Uh, we can't get through life without that. But there's a higher inspiration. There's the purpose for which God made you. And Jesus said, in effect, in this verse, I have come to give you eternal life and then I've come to give you purpose in life. And boy, I'll tell you what, that makes all the difference in the world. And so Jesus says here, I am the true vine. I am the one who gives life. The second symbol is the father. The father is the gardener. You know, no one cares for the garden like the gardener, right? How many times have you gone out to plant something and you kind of like look at it every day? It's like, wow, look at that. Look how it grew. And you kind of nurture it, and you kind of protect it, and you feed it. And then all of a sudden, you go out one day, and the groundhogs have taken it away. It's an awful experience. It really is. It's defeating. But the gardener watches over the garden. Now, remember this. The father is the gardener. Nobody cares for the garden like the gardener. And so the father is the gardener. He planted the garden. He knows everything about the garden. He maintains it. Uh, one day from heaven, God sent his son into the world. The field is the world. And he planted his son, notice this, as the vine in the earth. Heretofore, his son was in heaven. But now his son takes on flesh, and the father plants the son in the earth to grow a vine that will really bring forth life. For instance, John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. The reason why that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world is because the world was already condemned. He didn't have to, it was condemned. He came to save the world. He came into a world of condemnation to bring the world life. 
but God sent him. Actually, God planted him in a very kind of insignificant ways. In the days of Herod, the day of Bethlehem, Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And so God planted his son in the earth, this little baby in Bethlehem, a small, rather insignificant event that the vine began to grow. And he grew in stature and in wisdom. And this vine began to take on a life of his own on earth. And this is what he said in John 12, 24. The truth is a kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. And unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. And that refers to the death of Christ. When God planted his son in the earth and he died, it brought forth all sorts of new life. And you and I are proof of that today. Here we are. We're part of God's harvest that was planted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So the father is the gardener. He's watching over everything. The believer is the branch. Now, I found out that this word branch in verse number two is the Greek word klema. And it means a young, tender shoot. And it depicts you and me. We're pretty tender. We're pretty fragile. We're easily broken, aren't we? We're easily derailed. Uh, but when we stay attached in fellowship with the vine, we become, listen to this, stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as we stay attached to the vine. Uh, the branch owes its origin and vitality to the vine. Branches don't draw attention to themselves, do they? Now, don't get hungry this morning when I show this to you. It's almost cruel to show this to you on Sunday morning at this time of the day because it makes me hungry. But you'll notice that the thing that's important about the vine, not the leaves, not the branches. What is it? It's the fruit, right? It's the fruit. And the, the branches are obscured. And we're a branch. And this is the way it should be. The branch is not supposed to be out front, uh, not uh, parading its talents and gifts and things of that nature. It's supposed to be in the background. And the fruit is supposed to be out in front. And so we have these symbols. The vine, the son, the gardener, that's the father. And the branch, that's you. What are the steps of fruit bearing? Uh, they are, let's read on here. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. My mother used to put it this way, Johnny, if you don't use it, you will what? Lose it. I think that's in effect what Jesus is saying right here. Fruit bearing is a decision. And, uh, and I believe you've made that decision. You're here. You're here this morning, and you're saying everything within you cries out and says, I want to be a fruit bearer. Include me, Lord. I want to bear fruit. I want to live for you, and I want to find my purpose. Um, and so the steps of fruit bearing are pruning. Look at this. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Now, if you've made the decision, and most of you have, I'm sure, to be a fruit bearer, you've also made the decision to allow the Lord to prune you, to cleanse you, more cleaner than you are right now. 
I almost brought my little pruning shears. I love those things. I love to go around and just prune everything and just cut it. It makes me feel good. But that's the gardener. You know, the gardener, he kind of hangs out with that thing on his side, and he just weren't ready to, ready to use it. That's the, what Lord, the Lord does in our life. Um, now, I want you to notice something here with me. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I understand that the, the words there, take away, can be variously translated. Uh, one of the ways that it can be translated is this, that the Lord lifts up. You've probably heard this before. And that makes good sense to me because when the Lord, the gardener, plants the vineyard and the branches begin to spread out, he wants to keep them off the ground because bad things happen when they get on the ground. Uh, they rot, they all sorts of insects, and et cetera, et cetera. So he comes by and he lifts them up. And, and I could just imagine him, and he, what this means is he works with you and me to try to help us to be a fruit bearer. So what he does is he lifts us up, puts a little twig, speculation, uh, under, that, uh, under that sagging branch to help you to stay off the ground. Now, most scriptures, though, read this way, the way I've read it for you this morning. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I think that we can read it in both those ways. First of all, I think he lifts us up. And then after there is a decision that not to become that involved and not to become that interested, then he takes the privilege of fruit bearing away from us. And there are people everywhere that you know that have lost the privilege of fruit bearing. It wasn't God's decision. It was theirs. It was their decision. Uh, they didn't want to become involved. They thought the Christian life was too hard for them. Uh, they, the cares of this world came pressing in upon them. The thorns choked out their spiritual vitality. And so they lost the privilege. And what a tragedy because it's such a privilege to serve the Lord. Do you know that? It really is. Uh, to walk with God and to discover your purpose for living and to see God bless your life and the life of others around you. Uh, now the pruning knife, notice this as we move on. Verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. The pruning knife is the word of God. This is why we're putting this big emphasis on in our church. Because whenever we open the word of God, this means, okay, Lord, prune me. Okay? Prune me. And, the, and that's what God wants to do. Because he's trying to get you and me to become cleaner and cleaner so that he can use us in a greater way than he's presently using us. And so uh, the pruning knife is the word of God. And uh, how does that work? Well, John 17, 17, remember when Jesus was praying there, uh, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. How does the Bible prune us? Well, it condemns sin. And so as we read through the Bible systematically, like we're trying to get everybody to do, we see things in, their li in, in, in the Bible that throw up red flags in our life. Oh, that's what I'm doing. The Bible condemns sin, and it's for a purpose. God's trying to raise the standard in our life. God's trying to get us to aspire to greater aspirations of godliness. And so, uh, and so it condemns sin. It inspires holiness in our life. 
I can't help but think that as you read through the Bible, there's something inside of you that says, listen, I want to be a better Christian than I was last week. Can I have an amen? Sure. There's something, it just cries out in us. Lord, I just want to be as good as I can be. I just want to walk with you more faithfully than ever before. The Bible inspires holiness. It also inspires growth. It engenders enthusiasm. I'll tell you, when you're growing in God, it's like you want to jump up and down and say, yeah, this is really cool. And it reveals power for victory. Uh, And so God speaks in this way. And as we open the Bible, we're saying, okay, okay, Lord, I'm placing myself in a position to be pruned by you. I think when we first come to Christ, this is what happens. God immediately, almost immediately, begins to take prune us to make us cleaner. Because how many people do you know that whenever they came to Christ, the Lord reached down with his pruning clippers and took a lot of bad habits out of their life because most people have a lot of bad habits when they come to the Lord, unless they're kids, children. And that's the best way to come to God as a child. But not everybody has that privilege to do that. And so there's a lot of bad habits, and the Lord reaches down, and he he says, that's got to go, click. (laughs) And how about that click? And this click. And God begins to work us over right away, making us cleaner and cleaner. And we look at the Lord, and we say, what what about this? He said, that too, it has to go, click. And, And you know what happens? As we begin to shed those things, we begin to feel like we're really making headway, like we're really growing and in God, and we're excited that God is finally working in this way in our life because these habits are things that, that uh, destroy us. They destroy us. We feel guilty. We feel in bondage. And so he, first of all, takes the habits away. And then he takes relationships away that are destructive. Um, so many times this happens. So many times a person has to find a whole new world of friends. Now this doesn't mean that we leave the old friends behind and we forget them completely. We put them on our prayer sheet and we invite them to church. Or we put them on our prayer sheet and we invite the Holy Spirit to convict them of their sin. But we we don't go to their places anymore. We don't go to those hangouts anymore. The Lord says, listen, you just can't go there. Uh, You have a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are becoming new. And so it's a good thing. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this. Bad company corrupts good character. And so uh, we don't go to those places anymore. Oh, Bill calls us up and says, hey, how about going down that? No, I, I'm sorry, I can't go. Why don't you go with me? Why don't you come where I'm going? Uh, another thing that God prunes us for the rest of our life now he takes habits out of our life he takes relationships out of our life he takes places out of our life uh, but he takes bad attitudes away from us how many people here from time to time have an attitude problem would you raise your hand okay some of you have another problem (laughs) didn't raise your hand we're all involved in this We all need a lot of attitude adjustments, don't I? And I keep thinking that maybe one of these, I'm going to get beyond that, but it's not happened yet. 
And so, and so, we, so the Lord has to take these attitudes away from us. Superiority, condescension, uh, I know more than you, oh, et cetera, et cetera, it goes on and on. And so for the rest of his, our life, he's going to be pruning these bad attitudes because Philippians 2.5 says this, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then what happens sometimes is uh, God takes success away from us. Success. To draw us closer to him. Because oftentimes success uh, works against us. The more successful we get, sometimes the less close to Christ we become. And we become so busy and so tied to material things. And God looks down and he says, you know, this is really not working. Uh, we have a fellow in our church, and he had a very, very important job in the city of Pittsburgh, vice president of a large, large company. They joined the companies together, and one day they came in and said, you know, we thank you for all your hard work through the years, and here's your pink slip. Uh, his world came tumbling down. But through it all, he drew close to Christ. It wasn't working the way it was supposed to work for him. Uh, sometimes God takes success away from us. Uh, he's trying to bring us closer to him. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, If you keep yourself pure, now this is really good, this is the NLT. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. You'll be clean and ready for the master to use you for every good work. You'll always have a ministry if you allow God the freedom to take things away from you. Because what he's trying to do is get the branch closer to the vine. And so uh, we, are, we grow in Christ by pruning and we grow in Christ by abiding the word abide there in verse number four is an interesting word. It means spend time with me. The first time you begin to think you're too busy to spend time with God is it's a bad thing. Uh, spend time with me. And uh, we're trying to teach in practical ways on Wednesday evening how we can spend time with God in worship, in confession, in thanksgiving, in supplication. Spend time with me. The time you spend with God will reap incalculable eternal differences if you spend time with God. And so he says, listen, you just have to spend time with me because without me you can do nothing. And what is the success of fruit bearing? Uh, what does the product look like? What, what's God trying to produce in your life? Well, he's, he's got a lot in mind for you. Turn over with me, please, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. What does the product look what look like? Well, it doesn't look like where you've been. It looks like where you're going. Because if you read the verses before Galatians 5.22, that looks like where you've been. But God has a future for you. And this is it. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. 
That's the fruit that God is trying to bring forth in your life. Uh, when you go to work, people are to look at you and say, listen, uh, I think this guy or I think this woman has a greater love than my kind of love. For sure they have greater joy. Absolutely they have greater peace. They are long-suffering. They are kind. They are good. For sure they're faithful. They're gentle. They have self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And so as the Lord takes things away out of our life and he prunes us, uh, he brings us closer to him. And these, listen to this, these are the characteristics of God right here. You look at each one of them in the Bible and they are the characteristics of God. And so God is trying to create his characteristics in your life. Now, I know that it's so foreign from uh, the conception of the world. It's so different. It's diametrically opposed uh, to the direction of the world. But God has something really good for you because this, these are all the good things here in life. These are all the good things in life. And as we grow and as we develop, when we're saved, God plants the seed. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. He plants the seed of all of the potential of all those things in your heart. And as you grow then throughout the years, these things bloom into greater fruition. You become, after 10 years in Christ, a greater person who can love like Jesus can love. And you become a greater person who can have joy, the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. This is our future right here. Uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit, the success of fruit-bearing. Now, if this is what you want in your life, you're on the right direction. You're on the right course. But, you know, fruit also implies inherent reproduction. Virtu virtually every piece of fruit has seeds within it, seeds that are meant to reproduce more fruit. Uh, you know, fruit comes in several ways. There's the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But you know, it's one thing to say something. It's another thing to do something. And someone said one time, what you do, speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. And so, and so what God tries to do is, first of all, he works on the inside of us. So that uh, what we say has some credibility. Because you've seen many, many people, and they've talked a good story, right? They're great talkers. You know, they've praised the Lord, and they've talked about the things of God, but their life doesn't match up, and so therefore their talk is just all air. It has no weight. But whenever you can blend them both together, the fruit of our lips and uh, the fruit of our life, this is the fruit of our life, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. When you can put that together, you have the total package. And the end of it all is this, John 15, 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. God the Father is glorified. Whenever your life begins to exhibit, don't become discouraged. 
When, you're the, when your life begins to exhibit these things, then God the Father is glorified. Because people then say of you, listen, the, I don't know why this person is like this anymore. It must be God. It must be God. And that brings glory to God, right? Now the branch is not out there flaunting its branches, but the fruit speaks for itself. The fruit speaks for itself. Look at this person. They used to be an unloving person, but look at them now. Look at this person. They had no joy before, but look at them now. You know, the joy of the Lord's a wonderful thing. You know that? And uh, it's something that's not connected with outside circumstances. We don't have to have something happen in order for us to be joyful. Sometimes we could have the greatest reversal and be most joyful. The greatest reversal. Because it's the joy of the Spirit. It's the product of the Spirit. And so this is to bring glory to God, and I know this is what you want. And so my word to you this morning is this. Stay as close to Christ as you can. Don't cut corners. Don't cut edges off of your spiritual vitality by saying, listen, I'm too busy for the Bible because when you're too busy for the Bible, uh, God can't really do this work of pruning and showing you areas and raising the standard in your life. And that's what he's trying to do because he wants you to be more fruitful and he wants me to be more fruitful. And I know that's what you want so that God the Father gets the glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed, bowed and our eyes closed this morning. I wonder how many people here have, uh, have been born of the Spirit. You are a product of the vine. Uh, the vine gives you your life, you're the branch. I wonder if, how many people don't have that experience in the church this morning. Well, today you can by embracing Christ as your Savior and trusting in Him alone for your soul salvation. And so I'd like to invite you to do that right there in your seat. Just get honest with God and come to him and say, Lord, for, have mercy upon me. I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I've broken your law. But I want to be a part of you. I, I need your life and my life. And I want to be the fruit bearer that you designed for me to be. Maybe you're here today as a believer and you've uh, kind of drifted some away from God and that fruit maybe that you once had that was so vital and so vibrant uh, doesn't look like it used to. And um, you're not happy with it. I'd like to encourage you to come back to Christ today. And begin to do those things. Put yourself in a position that God can really work with you as a branch. Give God the permission to take things away from you. And do it joyfully because it's for your good and his glory. We pray now, Lord, that you'll help us to respond to this message from your word today. Uh, bring it right down where we live and make it practical for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.